In this interview, I talk with Dr. Nadia Rahman. She's a counselling psychologist based in Bristol. In this interview, she talks about her work with diverse groups in inner city Bristol, how she's adapted CBT for her clients from BAME backgrounds. She talks about her own research into the experiences of Muslim women who have accessed psychological therapy, and also about how she's used social media to reach a broader range of clients. Nadia, thank you so much for agreeing to take part in this interview today. I just wondered if you could start by um, introducing yourself and just saying why you were interested in in talking to us today. Yeah, so um, first of all, thank you for your time today and for interviewing me. Um, So my name's Nadia. I'm a counselling psychologist um, based in Bristol. Um, I guess I was really interested in this because as a Muslim woman of a Pakistani ethnicity, it was really a topic that resonated a lot with me. But I've also done my own research around Muslim women's experiences of counselling. Um, so looking at okay, where the gaps are in mental health services and counselling services and different diverse populations. Um, so yeah, I felt like, okay, this, this is something that I have researched a lot myself. Um, it's something that I'm still... I'm kind of working towards like bridging some of those gaps in whatever small capacity that I can. Um, but yeah, it's something that I'm really interested in. Mm, yeah, your research sounds fascinating. <laughs> and hopefully we'll get to hear a bit more about that um, as we're yeah. talking together. Yeah. So could you tell me a little bit then about your experiences of working with diverse groups? Yeah, so um, I guess I... Aside from kind of voluntary positions and like small community projects and things, when it comes to the counselling and therapy side of things, I've worked in the NHS for about three to four years um, before recently starting my private practice. But within that, I probably saw two, two to three clients from an ethnic minority background um, over those few years, and I was quite surprised by that. Um, So it was only when I started working in an organization that was it was a um, black-led psychosocial kind of organization that was based in the heart of the um, community in Bristol here um, and they had a lot of referrals um, from other services that were working with ethnic minority individuals as well um, but they were also trying to do work in the community to try and see, okay, what kind of support does the community need? Because the needs of the community are very different compared to, um, I guess every community will have um, their own kind of needs that they, that that differ from community to community, basically. Mm. Um, So within that organization, there were people doing different work. So I was a um, CBT therapist there. Um, there were also employees that were doing housing support, advocacy, um, helping people who had maybe just kind of come out of prison or were struggling with drug and alcohol use. Um, and I guess that is really what, if we're thinking about what the community needs, with all these things going on for individuals within that community, 
I think this organization did really well in having employees that could work with the different needs of the people in the community. And But then as a therapist in that organization, um, I guess I did find it a little bit difficult at first because there were clients that were coming to me who had all these other kind of issues that they wanted to address. Mm. But the way that we've been taught and trained as therapists and psychologists, it didn't really take into account the other needs that people might have. So whether it's something, we were having a session with somebody and they, they're they telling me about their housing situation. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm sort of like, hmm, okay, how does CBT work with this? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I had to really start to think a bit differently. But then I guess we're only as good as our training and education that we have. So... I did I did struggle a bit there but it was a, it was good for me to learn and also be in a space where actually I did have people that we we, did, we had supervision weekly where we could discuss some clients and think about okay, actually is there anything else in the service that could benefit this client or what other resources are out there what other agencies could we signpost them to so I guess my role was not just as a therapist but also doing a little bit of advocacy um, but then also some <clears throat> psychoeducation around like what therapy is and mm-hmm. how people can, can use therapy. Um, <clears throat> so I guess, yeah, some of the lines were a bit blurred than what I was used to Yeah. in other, in other organisations. Yeah. Mm, that sounds like a really interesting experience. I was, I was just really struck by, you said that there were, you kind of were picking up on these different needs of the communities that you were working with in kind of inner city Bristol and also talking about the kind of, you're only as good as your training and maybe a, a lack of training about working with those groups. And I just wondered if you could kind of elaborate on that a little bit. Yeah, yeah. So I remember when I was doing my doctorate, we obviously we had a module on <clears throat> on um, difference and diversity. And within that module, we would have like a lecture or two on maybe disability or sexuality or religion and race. Um, but I feel like when it came to interventions, for example, or therapeutic approaches, I don't feel that I did. I didn't feel very well equipped, um, and I feel like there is there are a lot more things that can be introduced into trainings um, to help people even just start thinking about what issues might come up when working with them. Um, diverse communities or when working with difference or um things just to help build some of that confidence Mm. and what are the sorts of things that you think could be done um oh gosh interesting question (laughs) (laughs) yeah i guess it also it depends it depends the kind of populations that we're working with and depends on the needs of the client as well um i think what was really helpful for me in my training was thinking about things in a more systemic way. Mm. Um, and I feel like that's that's currently where I'm at at the moment as well. So in my private practice, I've actually seen more ethnic minority individuals within the first kind of five to six weeks of starting my private practice than I did in my whole three to four years in the NHS. Oh my goodness. So, yeah, even for me, that, that speaks a lot. And I feel like there, there are things in how 
not just for counsellors and therapists themselves, but services as well. Like how how do they reach out and speak to people from from communities? Mm. Um, how do they connect and engage with them is the kind of first starting point. Because yeah. um, otherwise you're not even getting people through the door. Mm, absolutely. So that's really quite striking. I'm just wondering... Um... What have you done, do you think, um, that has meant that you have seen a much more diverse set of clients compared to when you were working in the NHS? What are you doing differently, do you think? Yeah, so I guess that this is one reason why I kind of did want to go self-employed quite soon, I guess, is um, because I've really drawn on my own identity and I've used things, I guess, that are not are not very traditional or not very maybe like psychologist like whatever that is but um so i use um i use social media quite a bit and i think that's something that came from my own research as well so where i interviewed muslim women about their experiences of like seeking counseling and what stood out for me with that was that the majority of them went online first mm. and they or, they would go online either to, ch- to try and make sense of what's going on for them and their symptoms and their experiences, um, but also to find support, whether it was with relationship issues or domestic abuse or depression, anxiety. They were looking for something or someone online that could help them and support them through because they, they also experienced a lot of isolation. Um, so I guess I, I thought that, okay, if there are people using online as like a a first resort and counselling as a last resort, then there must be a way to, I guess, be more visible and make counselling and therapy more visible to these people so that they can access the support. So obviously I've got my own website. I use use Instagram and I share posts around like trying to destigmatise mental health amongst ethnic minority and Muslim communities, but also talking about issues that might be quite unique in terms of our where we're placed within ethnic gender and mental health like cross sections um and i think that really it really speaks to people and quite a few of my clients have they have family online mm. and come to me that way so yeah it's doing something a bit different yeah it sounds yeah. like that's really working as well and yeah so once you've got people in the room then what what are you doing anything differently to kind of how you were trained to do things yeah that's interesting actually because i i was thinking about this and i said actually what do i do differently okay i present myself and i might use different language and in a way that people can relate to it but Mm. when it comes to the actual therapy that i do so i use mainly cbt at the moment Mm -hmm. um just because that's that's where that's what i've been using for the past few years in the nhs and it's what i'm most comfortable with but i also use some relational um therapy as well and i don't think i do anything drastically different in sessions um but i think it's just that having that space where people can talk about religion or they can talk about culture or they know that actually my culture is welcome here or there are things that i don't have to hide here because mm-hmm. i don't know if it's based on people assuming that okay we have similar ethnic and religious backgrounds so there'll be more understanding um but I mean I, I never instigate it from 
my end, I I will say to them obviously that we have we have a shared background. If there are things that you want to talk about um, or open up about culture, family, religion, then obviously feel free to do that if you need to. Um, but aside from that, it's and a straightforward CBT at the moment. <laughs> mm, that's really interesting. So it sounds like there were differences in how you might talk about things and you you leave the door open to talk about kind of culture and religion and that sort of thing but otherwise you're you're kind of following mostly a CBT protocol you also said earlier that you've kind of found systemic approaches helpful yeah yeah I was just thinking about that actually when yeah that is one thing at the moment that I feel like I could offer more to my clients um but I I don't have enough training in that approach to be able to work with it at the moment but I am noticing that okay yeah, my clients do come with <clears throat> the kind of the general presentations I've seen in the NHS as well but then because of the different ways that maybe family dynamics or communication within families and aspects of religion and culture that might feed into mental health difficulties I feel like there's a lot more that can be explored outside of the individual um so I do hope to get more training in systemic work to, to bring that into my sessions because at the moment that's what I feel like is, is missing for me and my clients. Mm-hmm. And I suppose um, when you mentioned systemic work earlier as well, you were talking about working in a very different setting, kind of in inner city Bristol and with people who have <laughs> might have a multitude of difficulties in their lives compared to maybe if you're working in private practice, people have to be able to afford to some extent to be able to come into the therapy so yeah. might, might, those things might be less at the front of the work that you do at the moment yeah yeah and so yeah. you've kind of mentioned um that you use mostly CBT um do you have any more thoughts on whether you think the kind of the standard evidence-based therapies are suitable for more diverse groups um yeah, there, there has been there's been a lot of research on this um, in terms of like adapting approaches to work with diverse communities, um, and I feel like yeah, people maybe have tried and there's a lot of case studies out there, and but I'm not sure. I don't know how much of the research actually translates to informing and influencing the current evidence evidence base. Um, I know there has been more success with CBT or finding that CBT is maybe more suited to individuals from different communities. Obviously, depends what kind of background that individual does have. Um, but I think, yeah, for example, in America, there's been quite a lot of research with um, like Asian Asian individuals, um, obviously predominantly students mm. um, from China. Um, and looking at different factors that influence their experiences and of counselling and like what counselling looks like for this population, because um, I think there are, there's a lot of differences in terms of like a person's expectations of therapy, their perceptions of authority and how that can impact the therapeutic relationship, um, but also their personality differences and communication styles. So if we're looking at, for example, person-centred counselling. Mm. and cognitive, cognitive behaviour therapy. Obviously, one is a lot more direct than the other. Um, one has a more of an approach where 
not exactly as an expert, but the therapist has maybe more of an authority in terms of, okay, this is what's going on here. You can do this for the next week and bring it back in the session and we'll have a look at it and we'll kind of build on that work. So it's, it's more of a direct approach that actually uses like concrete, tangible interventions. Uh, whereas person-centered counseling, for example, is a lot more indirect and it's like walking alongside that person and just getting them to find out their answers and things. So they're quite different, but I know within research with um, Asian Americans and even looking at Muslim communities and South Asian communities, um, there is a general kind of trend, I think, that these populations prefer a more direct approach. So that's where I guess CBT comes in. But then I don't know how much of it, I don't know how much, I don't know how people, people, there, let me start again. I don't know how many people do find it helpful. Mm. Mm. Because it might be, it might be missing out some things. I don't know. I feel like previous research has talked about allowing the whole person to come into the room. But then when we're thinking about culture and religion and how, how much maybe fear or apprehension individuals have of bringing those things into the room, even though they bring them with them inevitably, there, if there was space for them to actually feel accepted and not judged for those parts, then would the therapy be even more beneficial mm. um, rather than just thinking about, okay, what's this person's thought patterns or what are their behavior patterns? And I feel like it's just a very small part of the equation. Yeah, yeah. It sounds like we've got a lot more to learn on this. Yeah. 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 I mean, there have, there have been things, I know there have been a lot of adaptations, or in Malaysia, for example, I know kind of the integration of religion, Islam, and different therapies is quite, I think they're quite forward um, in Malaysia. <clears throat> but mm. I know there has been something done in the UK as well, so where... Um, Ghazala Mir, she created a, um, or she helped create a CBT kind of faith, faith integrated CBT mm. uh, with the NHS up in Leeds. Um, I'm not sure how I'm not sure how that ended up, um, what the outcome was of it, whether it's still running. But I guess people are people are trying, people are making changes. Um, I don't know how lasting they are though. It's, yeah, yeah. We've got to find that one out. And it sounds like you, yeah. in your private practice, that's something that you're you're kind of engaging with at the moment as well. Uh, so, yeah. yeah, my last question to you then is about um, the kind of challenges of working with diverse groups. And I guess I've got a kind of specific question within that, which is, do you have any thoughts on what the NHS is doing wrong that you saw so few people from diverse backgrounds whilst you were working there? Uh. Yeah, I think it's. A, I think this is a two-sided thing because where there is obviously there's some responsibility on the services and how they operate, how they um, how they engage people, how they set up, and whether they are accessible and things like that. Um, then, but there's also the thinking about it from the community side of okay, what's what might be stopping the individuals from seeking therapy? Mm. So. 
even in my research, the people that had gone to therapy, they did either they would go to their GP, for example, and then the GP would refer them through the NHS system. Um, so that was, I think, I think maybe one of the main ways that they would access the service was by going to their GP. Um, but then some who had already had experience of therapy were more open to looking at private therapists. Um, but yeah, I feel like there's, there are things that the services maybe can do. I'm not 100% sure what it would look like within the NHS. But I think a lot is also falls on to communities doing the work from within the community to um, normalise emotions, destigmatize mental health and reduce some of that shame around mm. mental health issues and seeking support as well. Because it's still there. There's a lot that's still there. Um, so there's something about that communication between services and populations and yeah just trying to close that gap in some way but it needs to come from both ends in my opinion mm, mm, that's a really helpful insight thank you so much Nadia do you mind if I ask you one sneaky last question um yeah, sure. thank you um so um I, I was just thinking that a lot of um our master's students uh want to pursue um a career in kind of uh psychology and I was just wondering about your journey towards becoming a counselling psychologist um, yeah. and how you found that coming from your background and yeah just any any final thoughts on that oh gosh yeah I could I could talk about this for a long time yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um yeah I don't know I I mean that all the trainings that I've done after since my A-levels. So I guess when I went to school, I was in, I grew up and went to school in where there was a, a high ethnic minority population. Mm -hmm. And as soon as I started my higher education, I was literally like the only one or one in three people from an ethnic minority population, whether that was during my bachelor's degree or my postgraduate studies or even on my doctorate as well. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, I definitely feel like that did impact on how I saw myself professionally um but also as part of the cohort and I guess there might be some of my own stuff going on there and feeling a little bit on the outside of mm. things being being the only Muslim woman or being one of the very few ethnic minority individuals um but I definitely think that we do need more people from our communities and different cultures to pursue this career because I guess they say isn't it representation matters and I definitely feel like it does and I know even me being in the position that I'm in at the moment and like where people can see me online and I have had loads of people get in touch with me saying that I'm interested in psychology I'm interested in counseling how do I do it what do I need how did you get to where you are and so there is that drive there. There is a real interest from individuals from ethnic minority populations in pursuing counselling and therapy and psychology. Um, but I guess when they get to the the teaching stage and with with their peers and tutors and things, um, I think it's really important for them to feel held and not not feel alone. Mm in their journey um I feel like that for me could have been something that that was improved but I just I was just kind of okay you're here for your education 
just steady and get to the other side so mm-hmm. that's yeah. yeah I don't know how helpful that is for people I mean it works for me but I do wish that there was maybe more of a, a support yeah yeah I really hope that that's something that can change within the profession it feels so necessary and blatant yeah. really um but having people like you um working clinically and being visible online and on interviews like this I feel like that's what needs to happen um like yeah. you said representation matters yeah definitely yeah yeah oh Nadia it's been so good talking with you I really appreciate you taking the time today is there anything else you want to say before we finish um, yeah, no, thank you. I've actually, I've really enjoyed talking about this. It's actually, it's actually felt quite nice. Oh, good, I'm so <laughs> um, glad. Yeah, but I, I also, um, I also, I guess I kind of just wanted to say as well that with with this, with this topic, I guess there isn't a kind of one size fits all. And I would say for people to also not, not worry too much about doing things differently. Um because if we are trying to work with different groups, then we need to approach it in a different way. We have to be different in what we do. Um, and I know sometimes that is not always, it's not always celebrated or it's not always encouraged, but I think that's what needs to happen. Mm, thank you. That's super helpful. Thank you. Thank you so much to Dr Nadia Sadiq for taking part in the What About Us podcast today. It was really brilliant to hear about her experiences of working in the NHS versus her private practice in Bristol. Um, And it was really interesting to hear her perspectives um, of the research that she did during her training. So thanks to Nadia and we will be back soon with another episode of What About Us. Bye bye.